did, Jimmy Quigley helped paint the railings at Renfrew's ground. Now, after a 21-year association as player and coach, he's the man in charge. Jimmy took over permanently from the long-serving Colin Clark at the start of the month after an interim spell. And he started on fire, winning all three of his games so far. Jimmy joins us on the show this week and tells us about making the decision to become the boss. We hear how he started out at the club he loves, which included being banned for 12 of his first 20 games. We look back at his part in helping Frew win the Scottish Junior Cup as a player, then how the team literally lost the trophy later that night. There's also the day of his testimonial, which started with a hangover and a Big Mac, but saw him hit the net against St Mirren. Plus, there's why he feels referees nowadays in the West of Scotland League deserve more protection. There's all that, as well as Mark Mackay's best of the West, as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along as we take a look at Scotland's lower leagues. Well, with Paul still away, we've got an able deputy standing in for him. It's former top runner, referee, Kilburnie Ladeside assistant boss and current housewife's favourite, Des Ridge. You're looking forward to this chat tonight, Des? I think there's a bit of history between you and uh, tonight's guest. Yeah, looking forward to it. I say history in the, probably the nicest possible way. It's probably somebody I've known for, I don't know, probably 30 years at least anyway. Um and had a few, a few, a few tales along the way. So yeah, looking forward to it. You, you'll be dishing the dirt tonight, yeah. Uh, well, I live far enough away from this, so I should be fine. <laughs> uh, before we get on to that, a bit more sort of somber news, tragic news. Actually, we're we're recording this on on Tuesday evening, and this morning we woke to the tragic news that Walter Smith had passed away at the age of seventy-three. Now, he obviously started his playing days at Drumchapel Amateurs and Ashfield, and and was somebody you came across in your days as as an official, Des? Yeah, um, not not overly many, uh, not overly many, probably half, half a dozen times or so. Uh, when I first went on to the senior list, um, one of my first games as a category one referee was Rangers Hearts. Um, obviously met met Walter beforehand. Uh, I think like what he said, just absolute gentleman um, very very welcoming uh, you could see straight away somebody had a bit of aura about him um, commanded respect was absolutely immaculate uh, when you when you seen him uh, and I think my first my first memory of it during the game uh, Rangers were winning quite comfortably and at half time I'm standing at the side and there was the management team at the time was Walter he was up in the stand uh, and then there was Alan McCoyst uh, Kenny McDowell and Durant say so it was a wee bit of, wee bit of banter flowing and I'm standing in the tunnel next minute I know I'm getting a, a punch in the, the the back of the shoulder slash neck saying what the hell's going on here, you used, used to be having a coffee morning here <laughs> uh, and then he, he proceeded to walk out and just start shouting absolute nonsense to the players in the crowd and says oh, that'll keep them happy for 10 minutes and then back in, so uh, no um, very sad, very very sad that somebody who's achieved a remarkable amount of success uh, both in Scotland and England with the teams he was with and the national team so very sad yeah, a real great of the of the game, not just in Scotland, and obviously our our thoughts are with his his wife and and sons and and the rest of his family. A quick word for our sponsors, media agency Forty Four Creative, 
Not only do they have photographers, graphic designers, videographers, and video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization, or event, they now offer website services too. They make creation personal and they'd love to hear from you. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the description on your podcast player too. Back to the show and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Hi, I'm Gordon Moffat. I'm the manager of Clay Bank and you're listening to Down the Divisions. New Renfrew boss Jimmy Quigley is on the show this week. Thanks for being with us, Jimmy. Good evening, gents. How are we? All good, all good. Before we chat some more, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from SPFL League One down all the way into the lower leagues. Then reveal the answer at the end of the show. Right, this week I'm looking for the club. You're usually good at these days, right? You've got a a record to protect here, haven't you? I know, don't tell Quigs that. (laughs) Right, we're looking for the club that after being founded in 1889, dissolved, then reformed in 1900 after some teenagers cobbled together some cash. They've won the Junior Cup three times, the most recent in 1982. You'll get the third one as a giveaway for you, you, Des. The second largest city in Malawi was named after the town where they play. Uh, I'm a PE teacher, not a geography teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And former players include Billy McNeil, Jock Steen and Joe Jordan. Ah, right, I might have... have, mm. Any idea, Jimmy? Don't give the answer. Mm, One or two spring to mind, but not a lot of that. Gee, well, the geography teacher thing killed me there, so it's pretty same. You're, not very, you're not very good at PE either, so you're probably better at geography than you are at PE. Hey, listen, you're two boys. <laughs> <laughs> At least the past. That's what I'm going on, my two boys. So <laughs> we'll find out the answer at the end of the show. Hi, my name is Jamie Nesbitt, manager of Thornwood United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. New Renfrew manager Jimmy Quigley is on the show this week. Well, Jimmy, two decades at Renfrew, you know the man in charge. How does it feel? Uh, it's been a wee bit of a whirlwind over the last four or five weeks. So, obviously, Clarky stepping aside. Uh, management wasn't really in my thoughts at the time, to be fair. Um, I enjoyed being a coach under Colin. Um, him leaving, but they asked me to stay on. And I only wanted to do it really for four weeks to see if I get a feel of it. But kind of grew in it and I'm thoroughly enjoying it obviously because results are going away just now so that always makes it easier to enjoy it yeah, yeah we'll come on to results in a minute um for those listeners who don't know you had 11 years there as a player you won the Scottish Cup with them there were some promotions along the way then you had 10 years on the coaching staff you were assistant to Martin Ferry and Colin Clark until he left there recently you mentioned it that I mean did you need a bit of persuading, you know, to 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 take it on, or at least consider taking it on? Then, um, again, it just came out of the blue. So it was the, the phone call between the committee and Colin was in the Monday, and then they asked me straight away after training if I would do it. Um, obviously, I went to spoke to Colin first because 
I thought it was a bit harsh, to be fair, um, given all the factors involved. But I think deep down, it's a, I probably was due a shot at it at some point anyway because I'd been there so long. Um, and I probably would have kicked myself if I never took it. But I just wanted to make sure that I got the right reaction for the right reasons rather than just doing it as a sentiment. Aye, because <clears throat> you and Clarkie, obviously, you's, you's go back for, for many, many years. You's were, you's were teammates for a long time before you before you came on to the, the backroom staff. Um, was Colin supportive? Yeah, so I work with Colin as well. He's also a fireman as well with me. So we worked together for years and I've known him for 20 odd years. So he'd always kind of said at one point when he was going to chuck it, I think it'd be a good idea if we were still in situ that it was a natural progression for me to take it on. But at the time, I, I kind of liked just being the coach in terms of less pressure. You can get closer to the guys and stuff. So I was kind of happy doing that. Um, but when he decided that it was time for him to step aside, he was a bit more than supportive with a few, few full calls. And he still, I'm still in contact with him just now, uh, constantly over players and how we're doing and stuff and just for a bit of advice. Has it been frantic in terms of, you know, just, I mean, it's not as though with the way the league's set up, it's not as though you can, it's not as though it's the summertime and you can gradually build into it. You've, you've got to, well, you have hit the ground running, but what's it been like behind the scenes? Yeah, it's been a wee bit more frantic in terms of, we've got a lot of players back, trying to get players in. Everybody in junior football, or the old junior football just now is playing for something. There's no team sitting idling because obviously the divisions are all going to amalgamate and you'll have to finish in the top four. Win it or in the top four and then from four to the 10th, I think it is. So everybody's fighting for something. So trying to get a player in from another team, I'm not really wanting to let them go. And it's not as if everybody's got unlimited cash funds to spend on people. So I found that a wee bit frantic uh, and trying to get a lot of players back for injury during this time as well. And obviously COVID. So there's a lot more goes on behind the scenes as a manager than actually took into consideration because Colin kind of shielded that from everybody and just let us go on with the coaching as such and, and try to integrate the players and get them fit and ready for it. Seems to be going well though. Um, I know you you went in as as interim boss to, to start with, as you say, but after being given the, the role permanently, you started with a, a 5-1 win over Dal Rai and then gone from strength to strength, 3-1 against uh, Ardia down at Ardia. Uh, you beat Royal Albert on the weekend. You're fifth now in Conference B. Management's pretty easy, eh? <laughs> it's only, it can only get worse from here. <laughs> there only is one way you can go now, which is down. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's um, just getting a bit, For me, it was just about getting guys back and happy playing. You know, because of what happened to Colin, people forget as well that Colin signed all the players and he's quite close to a lot of them as well. So it was a big shock to the system. So... The four weeks to see whether we could get a reaction off them or whether we'd, a fresh set of eyes might get something that the rest of us couldn't get out of the team because the club was more important than myself and Colin. But they've got themselves back a wee bit of confidence and they're enjoying themselves again, so, as it shows with the performances. Did the, you, know, you, you lost down at, sorry, lost at home to Ardia 7-3, which was Colin's last, last game in charge. I think that day you were maybe missing five players because of covid I think maybe three more were unavailable or away. Did it feel pretty sweet to kind of get that win over Ardea after that, you know, in terms of what that game at home to Ardea signified, if you like, and what happened afterwards? It's Yeah, it's always good. What we try to say to do is not have the same team beat you twice, home and away. And I try to reiterate to the players. On the day, we had Kevin Bell, who works with us and used to play for him in goal for us because we couldn't, with no goalies through COVID as well. And all the committee and all the management were on the bench. So we knew that we were under strength. 
And to be fair to them, they were clerical. It's seven shots at goals scored or seven, which is kind of unheard of nowadays. So it was bittersweet in terms of because it was probably the final straw that brought the camels back in terms of calling. But um, going down there and improving, the guys were really up for proving that 7-3 wasn't a fair reflection in what we've got as a squad up there. So it's probably the most complete performance we've had all season, rather than being the best performance, if that makes sense, in terms of people fighting for each other working hard as a team and what it meant to them when the final whistle went because we'd lost an early goal and six months, well, two or three months ago, sorry, six weeks, we'd have probably went on to lose that game. So there's a wee bit of determination about it, which is very pleasing for us at the coaching staff to see that. And on the weekend, you beat Royal Albert 1-0. It didn't, well, it sounded like, obviously, you look at the scoreline 1-0 and you think maybe it was a it was a tough game down there. I think they had a player taken away to hospital, there were a couple of stoppages down at the tileworks. Um but but not as maybe it sounded like you, you could have scored a few more on, on, on your day and it was poor finishing to let you down as much as anything on a on, on a pitch that wasn't great. Yeah, there was um boy a big Kieran could have played all day, no scored on Saturday. Uh, three or four chances that he missed it. But the other stuff he done that he brought to the team was was what we're looking for him as well because we know he can score goals, it's always going to happen at some point and They've not got anything to lose because they've not won a game yet. So the pressure was all on us. And then when I seen the park, how heavy it was, aligned with the stoppages and the wind and stuff, it's three points becomes what we want and nothing else. So it was a different side to them. They were resilient and they showed they could go and battle and win their games uh, as well as playing the nice football. So it, was, um, it wasn't it was as close as the score suggested. Royal Albert did put a really good fight. The boys did work hard. And you could tell they were playing with a sense of freedom that we didn't have because we were competing for something. And whereas... They, they were obviously just trying to get their first one, but it was unfortunate for the boy that went off. It was quite a bad injury, but it kind of stopped starting the game for us a wee touch. Right, so as Gareth also just went through, uh, it's been a pretty decent run. Boys should also have been a bit confident and hopefully feeling good within themselves. So it's a, a local derby this week in the, the League Cup against Borough at home. So got to be looking got to be looking positive towards that one. Yeah, so it's been a bogey team for the last three or four years, it is. Um, we've kind of the results that we've had against them we've probably changed the team and underestimated them a few times in terms of because it was cup games we played them in they weren't in a league and then a couple of pre-season friendlies but we just seem to no perform on the day against them um, change of management probably helped them and spurred them on and they were all young and fit they were a different team since the last time we played them because I think the boy Jamie's went through quite a lot of players seems to change quite a lot up there but it's a local derby and something we'd be expected to try and go and get a positive result out of because we've not had one for ages. So that should be the the, can, uh, the the carrot that's dangled in front of them as to Saturday for bragging rights, obviously, for the area. But the fact that you've not beat them in four games is we've still got a lot of boys there that have played against them and, and lost to them. So that's the incentive that they need, I think. Mm-hmm. And it being a home tie as well, obviously. In fact, I remember, I think, the first game that New Western Park was opened was against Johnsonborough. Um, so being a home tie should be should be all the other things you need to get another good result against the front of your own fans uh, in front of yourself and the, the current coaching team as well so there's everything there to be for motivation Yeah, we've, we've been away for four games in a row there so we've not played at home in four weeks so it'll be good to get back to playing at home for a bit um, for some reason the league gave us four games away on a trot and then give you four games at home in December yeah, thinking because the part's going to be on that your game will get played as such so uh, or good to get back, but 
it used to be people that look forward to coming to your facilities because it's a good facility. So it used to, it's not like the old Western part when people would turn up and look at it and go, oh, I can't believe we're going to have to play here today. And it suited us because we were used to playing on it. It's totally different. Everybody trains in AstroTurf now. Everybody Monday, Wednesdays or Tuesday, Thursdays, um, they're, they're used to it. And, uh, and when they turn up and see the facilities and how good it is, they get a wee buzz out of that and lift as well. So it's trying to deal with that as well as a, as a club that I think the boys have sometimes struggled with this season with some teams that have came there. Yeah, we'll come on to we'll come on to the old Western Park, old Western Park later. Lots of lots of fun memories there. But, but, but before we do, uh, I mean, everybody talks about you know there's there's well known derbies at this level of football. You know, you're thinking Auckland like Cumnock, these kind of games. For people who don't know, Jimmy, what's 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 the what's the Renfrew Johnston Borough derby like? Um, your experience. I mean, you'll have had plenty of experience both as a player. And as the coaching staff, and can they be fierce? Uh, not as much as they used to be. Um, back in the day when I played, they were in the league cup section together, and we were in the same league. So there was a bit of metal in it, a wee bit of needle. With a lot of friends that played on each side of it as well, we socialised out with it, and you didn't want to be on the losing end of that game as well. Over the last seven, eight years, Johnston have been down quite low in the leagues, and we've been in the championship, so we've only really crossed paths and the League Cup section, or um, as a friendly if we played it. But back in the day when we played it was different, but not so much now. I don't know if the boys all know each other as well as they do, or, and there's no so much significance in it because they're not competing in the same division for uh, leagues, promotions and relegations. How are you finding it this year with, uh, with the current squad? Obviously, you've, it's a bit of a blendier squad you've got there. There's a lot of young, lot of young players in it. A couple of older heads, Scott Morton, David McKenna, Jimmy Benton, two younger guys like Ryan, your boy, Liam McMenemy, young Kieran Diver. How, how are you finding sort of bringing, bringing them together? Because obviously it's a, it's a learning experience for, for the young guys and the experienced guys might find that a wee bit difficult to accept or sort of coach these guys through the game. Yeah, it's kind of forced on his desk because... Covid hit probably affected their club more than it did most clubs in junior football in terms of we were sitting fourth in the league. Um, <clears throat> we still had five games to go. We were playing the teams down the lower end of the division and the teams around about us were playing each other. So you were looking close to getting that fourth position to promote you into the Premier League. When Covid hit, they'd done the average points, which knocked us down to fifth, which then put us down into these divisions and not into the top division. Uh, caveat to that was we lost quite a lot of experienced players. Guys went to play in the top divisions because that's where they wanted to play. They were used to playing so we had to supplement that with young boys and we tried to do it with young, young local boys because there'd be a bit of feeling for the club. So it's been hard for the older guys to, well Scott Morton and these guys who aren't really as old as you think to try and take on the mentor role to be fair. Whereas we had older experienced guys that could help the younger boys through so they've kind of been thrown at deep end and to be fair they've, they've reacted well. They have helped the young boys through games and Young boys have kind of stepped up to the plate as well because they've got a wee bit of an affiliation with the club from being for the area. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Renfrew have always been, and we'll touch on it later on. Renfrew's always been a, been a strong, whether it's from Renfrew or Erskine or Paisley, it's always been a team that's pretty much been from from local areas. That's been the, the sort of catchment area. You don't tend to get guys that play down in Ayrshire, travel from Glasgow, and have got have got long travels, and they're I suppose indeed they're probably going for the the monetary reasons rather than. Yeah. For the for the football reasons, yeah, we try to we've always tried to sign boys on that pretense. We don't have a lot of money as a club, so you want to try and build something that, that without using the term money can't buy such. So people are happy and like to come to the 
and the environment that we create, then they're more likely to get success out of that. So anybody that's ever came to us from out with of them through and players that have really enjoyed it and wanted to stay as long as they could. The better players have moved on to other things, but towards the end of their career, if it didn't work out, they would always come back to us. So that's the kind of environment we try to create. Okay. Cool. Des mentioned Scott Morton and Kieran Divert. Doesn't sound like goals have been too much of a problem with the, with the two of them in the the side this this season. Just how good have they been? Oh, this David McKenna as well, who's only I think he's up to ten. So he scored his fiftieth goal on Saturday, which is at 102 appearances for him which is great because we've only had him like three or four years. Um, it's quite competitive with the strikers. Kieran thinks because he's young. Thinks that goal scorns everything the game's about. So he all he wants to do is score goals. If he doesn't score goals, he comes off upset with himself, even though he can do the other side of the game. Scott, he's always been a willing worker. He's always grafted really hard and led the line well, but scored goals on top of that. So it's trying to get a good balance between them. You try to get Kieran to learn off of Scott, and especially Davey as well, that, do you know what? Yeah, you're, you're bought to score goals, but it's no the be-all end though, because as a manager, we don't care who scores goals as long as they go in. But um, they've scored quite a few goals between the few of them, um, which has kind of kept us to where we are now. In terms of your own coaching setup now, you've obviously stepped up to manager. Ryan Boris and Ian Nicholson, kind of, you've handed them a bit more responsibility in the background and, and kind of taken on some of the duties that you maybe had? Yeah, I think it was when I was there with Martin and Colin, it was... Colin and Martin were co-managers and then when I came in I was coaching so Martin would let me do most of the coaching and then kind of moved up a progression to help Colin as such and that's the way we've always tried to do it so I was always taking the training Ryan and Nicky were always helping me Colin was the, the figurehead of the club I'm moving on I've just left responsibilities to Ryan and Nicky whilst he deals with the goalies but he's about 87 so I don't even know what he does to be fair I'm just happy to see him alive at every training session he's getting to that age so I think I think I think Miguel just plies him with sugar drinks to make sure he's all right. <laughs> See, to be fair, I might slag Wilson. I think he's fifty-seven or something, but he's still diving about as if he's twenty, and I can hardly get up and down the stairs in my work now. So, as much as a game pelters, at least he looks after himself. So, is is he uh, is he Renfrew's answer to John Burridge? Is he? Oh, he's Renfrew's answer to. Okay, aye, John Burridge. I've tried. I'm going to say something else, but it's a family show, so I'll no problem. That, but. <laughs> but in terms he of how he gets a winter heat allowance now, that's how old he is. Do you know, what I mean? <laughs> winter, so he can he can buy his a pint on a Saturday now with that wee extra bit of money. He get. Ah, he's got he's got he's got heat below his seat in your dressing room. <laughs> but in terms of Ryan and, and Ian, a lot of good experience there as players to kind of call on, isn't there? You know, in terms of their own playing days up in the senior leagues. Yeah, the two of them are different characters as well. So, Nicky played Rangers, Patrick Thistle, St Mullins stuff. He's most capped Scotland schoolboy there's been. Uh, he's got really high standards as he was as a player and he tries to implement that into the players individually. Ryan's played at the top level of football and for juniors as well. He's very enthusiastic. Still in that transition period between being a player and being a coach because he only stopped playing because of an knee injury. Nicky stopped playing, obviously, because he had a stroke and then he came back and played for a season. He wanted to finish in his own terms. It says a lot about his resilience. But Ryan, Ryan's kind of still in the boys' chat, not in the manager's chat anymore. And he's kind of the go-between just now. But he's relishing in that as well. And a wee bit more, uh, give him a wee bit more responsibility. And he's, he's loving taking the training. And the boys have really responded to the training. They're loving the training just now. Jimmy, I can't just... believe, you believe you're saying Nicky's got chat. No, he's not. He's not in the chat. Nicky's not in the chat. They oh. just popped him at the chat. So they've left uh, Ryan in the chat. 
Nicky's lucky he's in my chat, but he's got experience, so we'll let him oh. talk to people one on one. So no chance, man. The, the human sleeping pill. Oh, he's horrendous, man. He's just he's horrendous. Every sentence you finish every sentence when I played with Rangers and when I played with Party Piss when we played with St Monday, oh Jesus, honestly. You're have to um have to wait. That's that's what nearly kills Wilson, his part of you know what I mean, it's no called all day, it's gonna kill Wilson it's having to listen to Nicky. That's probably gonna send him over the edge. <laughs> You, you, I mean, we've obviously mentioned you worked under Martin Ferry and and Colin as well. How much did you take from working alongside the two of them? Uh, and how much maybe did you realise how much you'd taken from them until you're now the man in the middle and you're thinking back to stuff that you've done with them? Uh, I try to learn off everybody that I've been with. Um, Martin was, Martin's a machine for his age as well. He's really, really fit and stuff. His fitness is always priority. I played with Martin when I first came into junior as well, so Always knew what it was about. Colin was always kind of level-headed. Martin could tend to blow his top a wee touch now and again. So I was trying to see where I fitted in that dynamic because as a coach, you can't blow your top as much because you're not the manager. So I always thought as management for me because I would be tend- I could tend to blow my top as such, but I don't want to react that way. But um, I try to find myself in the middle of the two of them so that I have got a wee bit about me, but not as much as Martin gone mental or not as horizontal as Colin at times. So... I'm trying to find that wee happy medium in the That's what I was probably quite surprised. Obviously, uh, working with Martin over at Coburnley, I was quite surprised how how mellow and how relaxed and how he didn't he blues talk because you know and I know more than more than anybody what, what Martin's character's like. Um, yeah. But I think he tried to he, he tried to change it that way and be be more. When you say mature, because you wouldn't really call Martin mature. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, in any way, shape, or form, no. But I can see where he's coming from because when I first joined it 10 years ago, every second word was come to F. That's what he used to shout. It's probably still shouts that come up to come to F, this and come to F, that, and constantly shouting that. And it was a running joke in our team for years. That's what Martin would shout constantly. And I'm like myself, don't say it. As soon as we came, imagine, I think I was 10 minutes in and I shouted it, and then I could hear Nicky laughing behind me, and I'm like, I turned into Martin a wee bit here. So oh. you do pick up traits of different managers that you, you don't actually realise. And I was. My team talks, I was a wee bit more calm and composed the way Colin was because getting in at half time, I used to have a lot of things in my head that I wanted to say to people, but obviously he's got his place first. So I was wondering how I could translate that in the addressing room myself. But you've only got 15 minutes, but I found I've been kind of shortened to the point, like Colin was, uh, and just like Martin on the sidelines, which is probably not a good combination when I say it out loud, to be fair. <laughs> how, how bad is this? Martin, Martin actually used to shout to me during a game, Roach, shut up. And it was only from the road, my missus is shouting going, I can actually hear him on the phone. He let it go in the car, he let it go on the phone to me and I'm like, aye, okay, but uh, I, oh, different character. But also a, a very, a brilliant coach and I think he's taken on a lot and Clarkie as well. I think Clarkie was always, always very so, so soft and calm and composed, but he let you know if you were... You want to pull your weight. Yeah, and I think these guys have kind of found it hard to adjust because football's changed. Do you know what I mean? So there's things you can get away with saying now that you can't get away with saying now or can't get away with doing now. And kids or youngsters nowadays take offence to it or they might want to go play for somebody else or their heart's not in it. And I think because of the commitment, these level of commitment these guys have showed over the years, if they don't get the same back up a player, it's a personal thing. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They tend to take it personally. Everybody does, but 
we need to change as a generation. No, the players coming through because they're not going to get back to the way they were. Do you know what I mean? So we need to adapt and overcome with that by trying to figure out ways to motivate them the best rather than going, I wouldn't have done that in my day or that never happened in my day because I felt like that was kind of where guys are getting now, the older generation coming into the younger generation. And, and how are you finding that, Jimmy? Uh, I'm all right. So uh, I'm Peter Pan. I still think I'm 15, the way I act and stuff. So and obviously Ryan's in the changing room as well and there's a lot of young boys. So I was kind of pally with them now before, before I got the job. So I've tried to keep that the same sort of way, but we are a wee bit of distance, but not too much because I'm kind of honest and upfront. I'll tell people what I think, but in a nice positive way. All right. And if I'm going to tell you what you've done wrong, I'll tell you reasons why you've done it wrong and how to make it better. I'm not just shouting ball at you for the sake of shouting ball. And I think younger players react to that better because, as I said, back in the day, I can count in one hand how many times you used to get shouted at because you know yourself what you've done wrong and you fixed everything before you even got to the changing room at half-time between yourselves. There isn't really much happening nowadays with players, so you have to individually tell everybody where they're going wrong and then collectively make sure that they're all working to get the same same outcome again. So you need to change your tactic a wee touch. A fair comment, Des. Did you see that when, when you were in the changing room? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, I think players without sounding sounding too too soft or wrapped up. Players are precious. Young people are precious now. They get social media presences. They like to know how they like they like they like to people tell them how good they are all the time. And the difficulty is sometimes whether it's coaching football, teaching, doing anything, you need to point the faults the faults out first. If you don't if you don't point the faults out, how can you improve? So it's not a case that you're going in there to give somebody a roasting or telling them that the, the worst player in the world. That's not the that's not the point. It's, it's getting across an instruction to say this is how you can be better. Take it take it in the right manner uh, and say and that's across all sectors. And certainly when we were at Cumbernauld, we, uh, we just as Jimmy said, I to say to people if we dropped you at the team, this is the reason. This is the reason for it. It could be injury related. It could be form related. It could be other people coming in. Um, but you would like to think that young people would still have a wee bit of, I don't know, moral fibre about themselves, maybe, that we had. We'd go, right, okay, fine, I need to do this better, I need to work harder, I need to work on this part of my game. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, I totally agree with it. I think the point you're making there, Des, is very valid. But um, in terms of, we ask our players, I come and speak to you about how the game went, I want to know what you could have done better. I want you to tell me your faults. So we both know that we're on the same page when I'm going to say to you, you could have been better with your passing accuracy, you could have got more shots from me, etc. I want you to be able to identify that within yourself. I'll be there to build you up and tell you how good you've been. You don't need to tell me how good you've been. And as Des said, a lot of players want to be told how good they are. You're never going to get anywhere being told how good you are at everything all the time. So if you can identify, do you know what, I've done this well today, but I was better. I could have done this better, I've done that better, I've done that better. Then we're good. You've identified what you could have done better, so that's progress. For the next game going in, you just need to get a 1% better on these things. The players that can't identify that and think they've done well, that's the kind of the, the culture we're living in just now as well, and you've got to find are they the right, the right type of people you have at your club. Yeah, so we, we actually said to the players at the start of the season, you tell us what you think you can get better on, whether it's individual fitness, whether it's your left foot, your right foot, your head and passing, goalkeeping, whatever it is. If you tell us, we can actually work on individual specifics to it. Uh, which I think is probably a bit different, a wee bit different from where clubs went. But we ask players to identify their weaknesses, just like you're saying there, and we can then try and build on that as a 
as an overall. And if you can get 2% better out of every single player in your squad, then there you go, you're 40% better straight away, aren't you? Well, yes. We'll come on to your playing days in a minute, Jimmy. But just going back to you know taking on the job as manager, you've obviously got a great, a great um, reputation at Renfrew, been a massive part of their history. Was there any part of you that thought that you could maybe I don't know compromise your legacy if you like if things didn't go well? As a manager, yeah. did, did that did that ever cross your mind? Was that part of your decision making process? They obviously wanted you to be the manager, otherwise they wouldn't have offered you the job. But did you did you think you know that could? We've seen it before when when heroes have gone back in, you know, as managers or whatever, and it's maybe not gone to plan. So I'd always said that I wouldn't do anything that compromised the club, right? Because the club, being twenty one years service, I don't need to prove to anybody what the club does mean to me or, or how much effort and time I've put in. Um, if it had, to, if I had to go in and keep it on to the end of the season, knowing I wasn't going to do well because they had other plans in mind, then I'd be quite happy to do that for the club as well. But I had a feeling after a couple of weeks that I could improve on where we were just now, um, because we were getting other factors in place that were going to help us. My legacy or, or how I would have felt by by the club be staying on uh, didn't really come into that too much because it, it, the club's more important than one individual. Do you know what I mean? In ten years' time for now. I'm sitting there and there'll be a people might remember that I played there or they came and watched me. That's probably enough. As long as the club's still functioning and we can try and get them in worlds where we want to be in terms of professionalism on and off the park. So it didn't really come into my mind that much, if I'm being honest. And, and because of how much the club means to you, that first game, either the one when I think your first interim one was in charge actually against Paul Davis's New Mains United, but um, you know, early on, because of how much the club means to you, even walking in to deliver that first team talk, as the manager or the interim manager, did did that give you a little bit of a different psychology walking in? Did you have a few nerves, for example, you know, or, or stuff like yeah. that? Did it mean a lot, you know, because of how much it means to you? Yeah, even every Saturday, I still on a Friday sit down and think about uh, the game before, but what I'm going to touch on the game. I don't like to dwell too much on it, but I like to have an overview of how we done last week, where we're looking to improve, good and bad points, so we've got it fresh in our mind where we're going to take it. So even just now having a team talk on a Saturday still feels the same. You get that wee bit of nails, but I always the wee bit of nails when I played football, so it shouldn't be any different because I still want to win games of football and I'm nervous for the players. As long as we can deliver everything to them, I'll always look myself in the mirror first. So if I can deliver the right words at the right time and get a reaction at them, then I've done part of my job because there's only so much you can do once you cross the white line, it's, it's on them. From that point of view, you can only make decisions in terms of shape or bringing people on and off if they're not performing. So you've got to make sure you. So I still get the nerves, I probably still will for a wee bit. Colin said to me that it's the sleepless nights that you get worrying about it. But when I first joined the coaching staff, we were night shift a lot after it. And if we never got a turnout, I think we were 14 years sitting up, writing things down and stuff. They phoned me the next day saying I never slept a wink, neither did I. And he's like, well, you get used to that after a couple of years. So uh, try not to get too up and get too down, which I've learned off Martin and Colin as well. Just put it to bed, score it out pick your points out it and then move on to the following week. So I suppose if I'm just coming into the job in that terms of that, I've had 10 years experience of doing that. It'd be different if I was a player because, like I said, Ryan, who's only just retired, he's 100 mile an hour all weekend with the game. Whenever I thought that, I'm like, go and have a beer and go to sleep. Because if you don't let the deal with just now, you'll be up all night and it'll drive you bonkers. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think you've got to. I'll go back to my I'll go back to my running days and even my refereeing days. I always remember my old coach saying to me, if you're never nervous before a race, 
or if you're never nervous before a game, it's like a new challenge. If you think you're doing a new challenge and this is all right, this is good, I'm, I'm doing fine, then you're doing it wrong. You need to have something there that drives you forward. You need to have something there that keeps you thinking. You need to have something there that says, no, I need, to, I need to improve upon this. I need to have an impact upon this. So I think the day you don't have nerves of any form, then it's the day to chuck it. Yeah, I'd agree. In terms of, again, we'll talk about you starting at the club, but just just how much does this club mean to you, Jimmy? And and how much do you have that fire within yourself to to take them back to where you 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 think they belong, where 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 they were when you were playing, you know, winning a Scottish Cup and things like that. You know, how, how much and how far can you take them? Do you hope to take them? Uh, well, it's, it's short, medium, and long term goals, as I said to the committee. So the short term goal is trying to get in the top four spots, gets you in the foundation in the league that you're in next year. Um, medium term next year is try to get an under twenties team in because we, we don't have that gap between our twenties and the, the first team just now. Uh, a lot of other teams are just relying on the under-20s or put filling the bench room. We don't have that because of what happened in the under-20s league. And if we can get into the, the, the division, we want to get into have an under-20s for a couple of seasons and then get established because I've pinpointed two guys that, that want to run it for us. Then you'll be looking to challenge and to get out of that division because you want to get into the Premier League and stay there. Don't want to yo-yo up. We've been up and down twice because we probably weren't ready to go up the twice we've been up in terms of infrastructure and in terms of players. So we've went up and then we've come straight back down again. So it has to be a gradual process that when we get there, we get there and stay there. And then you can build from that league as well. So there is everything that other clubs don't have here in terms of infrastructure, facilities. The committee will, will bend over backwards for you. Yeah, it's a real community club. It's a good feel about the place. So it would be good to give them something to look forward to. If you just look at Clyde Bank, it was on the TV the other night there. So how, where they've came from and the, the, the way they've travelled to get to where they're going. To, and they'll not stop there. They'll still keep moving up their leagues until they get back to being a full-time professional club, which is a good aim to have. It's whether Renfrew wants to get that high up and keep continue, or whether we're happy to get to a, a good high level in junior or the old junior football and stay there. Because I don't think the model's sustainable for everybody to go into League Two. I think clubs will fold or they'll come back down or they'll just be cannon folder, in my opinion. Is it important yeah. then, on the back of that, that clubs even now work out? Their plan, if you like, the plan for the future and not to, well, you know, punch above their weight, if you like, because punching above their weight could come back to cost them, you know, really badly. There has been clubs, if you look at the likes of Irvin Meadow, the boys invested a lot of money in it and then pulled it out and they've yo-yoed up and done a wee touch. You look at Gretna, what happened to them because the guy threw money at it. So it needs to be serious backers and have a long-term strategy and project in place. They need to find the right funding. And it needs to be sustainable because it's all very well a committee coming along and want to do it for two, three years and then say, you know what, we've had enough of that, we're leaving. And the other committee come in who are not as experienced and left to pick up the pieces, which could inadvertently fold your club. So you should never be punching above your weight. You should never be, you should be punching above your weight on the park, but not off the park, in my opinion. So you should only pay players what you can afford to play them and then shop about to get the players that fit the model and the criteria you want them to do for. So if you're a a club that's going to be a feeder club for other clubs because you can identify good talent and make sure that that talent you identify goes to a better club and you get something for it. Because junior football for years has just been wait till the end of the season to take your player off you. And if they go senior, just to give you a couple of footballs or something, some training tops and stuff, and that was you. It was a slap in the face for people. So there needs to be the infrastructure off the park for me. I think there's a... Without naming names, I think there's a few clubs at this moment in time potentially teetering on the brink of 
of overstretching, and I really hope they're not, um, mm-hmm. because these clubs have came a heck of a long way in a short space of time. Um, put a, a great infrastructure behind them as well, but we've seen it at Renfrew, what's left there, and how do you rebuild, how do you restart? You've then got to attract players to the place again. It's a it's a difficult, but you, you can't deny their aspirations, you can't deny their, their, their hopes, but you just think, what if, what if? Yeah. Sustainability is the key word, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. My name's Chris Strain, and I'm the Cowan and Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. And now it's time for Mark Mackay to tell us who was this week's Best of the West. Last week's Best of the West saw Ardair go head-to-head with Greenock in Conference B at the Ardair Stadium. The visitors took a two-goal lead, first from the penalty spot scored by Craig Brown, and the second was a strike by Sean Rogers. Ryan Wilson pulled one back for the home side just before the break. It was the visitors that reclaimed their two-goal advantage when Sean Rogers grabbed his second of the game with only five minutes gone in the second half. The home side hit back once again through Wilson also scoring his second of the game to set up what would have become a last 10 minutes of nerves at Ardea. Greenock hung on to record their first win for the management team of John Doyle and Graham Cairns. Greenock in recent weeks have been plagued by injuries but now seem to be picking up points as their squad now starts coming back to full fitness. My name's Tommy Sloan, Auchinleck Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. New Renfrew manager Jimmy Quigley is with us this week. Well, we've talked about management, Jimmy. You've been associated with Renfrew since you joined them as a player in 1995, but it didn't start there for you as a player, did it? Tell us about where it started out as a player before then and and, um, how you ended up at Renfrew. So... I was late into football. I went to high school. Didn't play football until high school. People that came and watched me would probably notice that. To be fair, that I'm not as talented as everybody else. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, not, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing you were late into. I can take a few tackles and nights out as well. <laughs> I was never late in a tackle. I always arrived when I meant to arrive in a tackle. Days you just seen it differently because you were a ref. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember. I remember before then. We'll go back on that. I, I remember. I remember a conversation when you went to go burning, and I think we were a maybe on a Sunday afternoon and we, we happened to bump up, bump into each other and you said, the best thing about going to go Burnley, I think we're in the, the district league, was it Nay Linesman? Uh, <laughs> that was the old days, so as I said, when I was in, went to school, I was Scotland schoolboys captain for two years with big Stevie Thompson and stuff and then I got signed for Air United. I spent about 18 months at Air United, I got farmed out and loaned to them through and I realised I was never good enough for senior football. Lacked pace. Um, I was fit enough at times. Um, and junior football was a wee bit more physical, which I quite enjoyed, to be fair, being an 18-year-old. Not so much a couple of my debuts, but quite enjoyed the physicality of the game, which you never got in senior football because everybody was too quick for me. So, um, And that's went to them through and I stayed there for 11 years. You, you mentioned uh, the schoolboy 
Scotland schoolboys, what was, I mean, could you tell Stephen Thompson was going to go yeah, places when you're playing with him? Uh, fantastic. So him, Tom, my boy Stuart McCafferty that played Inverness, we all get, had to get released to play for the schoolboys. Big Tom was, um, I think it was, when was Gaza scored a hat-trick against Aberdeen to win Rangers of the League? Was that 95, 94, 95, something like that? I can't remember. And me and him were we missed our presentation for winning the, the Triangular Cup thing because we were up in the TV room watching it. We each scored about four goals or two games for it. And two volleys, one for his left, one for his right the corners. He was awesome. Outstanding. Outstanding play. He actually injured me playing in Dundee United playing against Derry. He crapped out a tackle with me and I got caught underneath him and he fell and I've done the ligaments in my knee. So I've never forgiven him for that. Do you still speak to him? I still speak to him on Instagram or whenever I see him um, about the place. So I've been a couple of golf days with him as well. He's a cracking lad. So cracking lad. Good player. TV I pundit. Stay- TV pundit, aye. TV personality. Some some his attire leaves a lot to be desired right enough when he's running in the telly, but I'm no slow telling them that either. So. so so Tom might have injured Quiggs, I say, he's probably injured his in fashion sense, because I see him most mornings out walking, what's his dog, is it Kylo, I think he's called, but the last day he was walking about with a pair of running tights, running shoes and a three-quarter length bubble jacket, but as Quig says, the hair was looking fantastic. Uh, his hair <laughs> was always immaculate, always immaculate. That's it. And his brother Paul stays across the road as well, so the two of them are on the back for me. Um, <clears throat> but I, he's a good, I, he was a great player, absolutely great player. You, you, you said Jimmy about you know you went out to Renfrew on loan and realised you wouldn't be you know maybe good enough. Was that tough to take as well? <sighs> no, obviously the expectations and and what well, was I never I knew I was never the quickest, so um, I was always quite aggressive and liked to tackle good in the air. Left-sided at the time as well, which people struggled for, but I always knew that at one point my pace would come back to would come back to haunt me. So I wasn't quick. I could sharp over a few yards, but no, no more my legs up. So it wasn't really that tough to take. You kind of got a sense that when you go and play with other guys that are, are quicker and sharper around about you, that it's not going to work. So it's about adjusting to a level that you were good at. Do you know what I mean? So the next place, going, I went out and loaned to Whitlitz for games and then I went and seen Gordy as my manager and says I was the youngest guy in the team and the next youngest guy was 34 he says I'm not playing with hundreds of guys that Bobby Laurie that scored against Celtic for Partick Thistle in the Scottish Cup final he was a manager he was playing himself as well at times and I was like I'm not playing there so he said if I could find a team up the road then we could all the Glasgow boys could go and loan so a few went to the Benz uh, I went to them through and then my dad was there as well and I thoroughly enjoyed it so about to say you've got also the connection growing up in Renfrew, your dad, Jimmy Senior, playing there, coach there, committee there. It was obviously the, the obvious choice for you to go. Did you have any other options or was that your, your first choice? I never even looked at any other options. So um, I knew that if I went there, I could play. And it was about playing at that age. Do you know what I mean? So I wanted to go and play. And I'd been doing to watch Renfrew, Big Neil Shearer and stuff were all playing there at the time. Um, my dad was managing down there at the time, so I'd been about the place. So I just thought it'd be a comfortable environment for to go, go and learn my trade in. And I knew a few of the boys anyway. So mm-hmm. hindsight, should I have went somewhere else? But no, I think I've done all right in through, so I'm probably quite happy where I ended up. So what year was that you went back there? 95-96 season. Right. So, so you're still uh, you're still young. Still, it was just turned 18 when I went there. So. A good introduction to junior football, some of the games. I think I get suspended for 12 out of 20 games it was that season for 
fighting with people. My first game ever, Hugo McCarrison played up front for Celtic, playing for Les Mahego, and he said to me, you man, your shoes are undone. And I looked at my shoes and just punched me square in the face, bust my nose and seen stars and stuff. So there was a chance to get a tackle and I had a tackle on him. And a goalie we had Chick Young, Chick Thompson, remember Chick Thompson? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah uh-huh. The big massive Tomash and it all got calmed down and it took him that long to run up to join in. He just fly kicked the guy and there's a big Rami again. I got four games for that. And then somebody spat on me and I punched him. And I got ten games for that or something, eight games for that. So I think I only played about ten times in my first season. I told you he was a quiet guy, Gareth, I told you. So... Uh, <laughs> My dad just said, you had to protect yourself, retaliate first. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, big, huge guys. And kicked about and punched off the ball and nipped and stuff like that. But I quite enjoyed that, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, was, was it a, you know, you had to be a quick learner, both both to defend yourself and look after yourself, but then also do that in a way that, you know, didn't get you sent off. Yeah. See, the thing is, as well, back in the days, all the guys that were kind of physical were all football players were all, good junior football players as well. They just took it on upon themselves to try and intimidate kind of younger folk when they come in just to see where you stand as, as it happened in football. So first couple of years, because you were big, tall and skinny, they just have a kick at you because you were quite fit and we could pass people and then see if you'd react. And sometimes you'd react and then that was you booked or then you're on a yellow card, you can't do much. So it was a good learning experience for stuff. It wasn't it all for great. It was a couple of handful of games where it was, but Apart from that, it was, um, it was a good learning experience of being at that age, going about all the grounds. And there used to always be great crowds at New Western Park as well. The, 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 town, the town would at quarter to three, the town would empty, and they'd all walk around in Shannon Road, they'd all come through the turnstiles. Brentford used to get really, really good crowds back then, yeah, and they were, yeah. they were well supported. Good social club as well, which was a, a, a thriving part of the community as well. So people would go there. Busy on a Sunday, they come down and watch you train and have a pint and look at the windows and all this sort of stuff as well. So it was a real community club at that point, very well supported. What about if take you back to 2001, that day when you won the Scottish Cup with Renfrew at Firhill, uh, you beat Carnoustie Panmuir after extra time and penalties. I think, I think you'd been or the club had been to six semi-finals and two finals without winning until that. And what was the feeling like for you when when the captain, Neil Shearer, hit that winning spot kick and that was that was you champions? See, that whole season in the Cup, you just kind of felt something was going to happen because if you look at that team, it wasn't overly blessed with fantastic football players, but they were all really, really hard-working, honest guys that, that when they let goals in. We'll get really lucky in the semi-final against Talbot. Talbot. And Andy Morrison get brought down about eight yards outside the box. But he was that quick, he landed in the box, he got a penalty that put us through. Um, they're still sort of nasty about it, which I can understand. Um, and then the final itself was, uh, all we did was defend, 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 and then win it in penalties. So made it even sweeter, because all the athlete boys had put all their kitty money on us getting knocked out in the Scottish in the final getting beat, because they thought it was a shoo-in for us to get beat. So they lost all their money as well, which made us happier as well. So I remember the semi-final. I've never seen... A team win, but it was at Love Street, and it was a Friday uh, night at Love Street. And obviously, being a Renfrew boy and my pals playing for the team, I've never seen a team get such a doing and win. <laughs> it was <laughs> unbelievable, and I think, <laughs> I think everybody for Renfrew that night went, "We're winning this." And then <laughs> it, was, it was that all the way through. So you got to the better teams. It was, it was just that you'd some Farkey and Big Shearer and Noodles and all these guys could defend properly, defend, 
and then we'd quick guys up front that would get you up the park to get a wee break. So it was people call it anti football, but it wasn't the anti football, it was just you played to your limitations and teams thought, Do you know what, they're not very good, we've got better players, but don't have better players if you get team spirit, team spirit will beat that. Well I'm looking I'm looking at the team, obviously I was a Renfrew fan, still am. Uh, I remember going to the final. The final was the worst final in history. Oh, we, def- we defended, we defended for 122 minutes. But if you look at if you look at that team, we've also got Jimmy, we've got Neil Farkison, Farkey, Johnny McClay, Stuart Gilchrist, Neil Alan Prentice, John Hammond for Erskine, Neil Shearer for Shannon, Gary Elric for Govan. You you probably get 10, 12 boys, all from the one area. It went to school with each other. I mean, obviously, Farkey, Johnny, Stuart, Jimmy himself, Prenty. These were guys that within one year each other at school. Yeah. We all played against each other. I went to Trinity. They all went to them for a high. So they had a really good team. But it was exactly the same when they played Trinity. They couldn't beat us. Because we were hopeless. But we could defend really well. <laughs> yeah, and Prenty as well. See, for Prenty, Prenty came from St Mern. Seven years at St Mern. Doing it to play junior. In his first three seasons, he won the Scottish and got to the semis twice or something, semis and quarters. And he thought, what's the big deal about this Scottish Cup? Because he just thought you'd done that every year. You know what I mean? That's the general he thought. He just thought this biggest, biggest tournament in junior football and he'd been nearly at the final three years in a row. Was there not a story, like, I know we all went back to the town that night, was there not a story the Scottish Cup went missing for a bit? <laughs> down to the Caymans. They took it down to the, well, they gave it to people to tour around the pubs and it went missing in the Caymans for a bit because Prenny took it, shock. Where was it found? Can you remember? Well, it was found in the pub. They brought it back. So oh. Everybody stayed at the Normandy. The best bit about that open top bus, all the way through, down through the old Blyswood to tell down the top of the high street, everybody's in the middle. We turned the corner at Robbie Park and we seen Ali McCoyst and he, his kids on his shoulders and they were singing. Uh, Clapton is singing it, isn't it? And we were all singing Super Alley all the way up the road to the Normandy because we were all so excited to see Ali McCoy's team was clapping his own that we forgot we'd actually won the cup for a bit. Anyway. That's what everybody talked about. Seeing Ali McCoy smoking at the Robbie Park. But it was a it was a good night. Did you uh, was there a spell where you didn't you didn't have to buy a drink for a while as well? Everybody was wanting to get you a, get you a drink for the, for the past twenty five years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> making up for that now. Um, I actually had to go home because my, my boy Ryan, he was only born about two or three weeks before it. So I couldn't get to stay with everybody else. But I went back round for the breakfast in the morning. And there was a few sorry sights in the morning, I'll tell you. So with a big cake, they got us for winning it. And Farkey decided to face plant into his suit. And he was still sitting there with cake in his hair at half seven in the morning for breakfast over his face. There's a few sorry, sorry sights, I'll tell you. Did you think that that might have been... Say they've been the start of something. Did, did you feel you could have gone on and done more after that, you know, and and maybe won another another cup, another big one? Uh, we lost the semi final the following year at Love Street two one, um, and then we lost the league in goal difference to Auchinleck Talbot. Um, they beat Mary Hill five one the last game of the season and beat us with four goals or something. Craig Miller missed a sitter against the Borough five minutes to go for five yards out. Which uh, Big Mickey, who's one of the goalies, has never spoke to Greg since. So when he does, that's what he says to him. Genuinely, he's distraught over the fact that he's, he missed an open goal and hasn't let it go for nearly 20 years. But with a really good, hard working team full of individuals that could play football as well. Really, really big, strong, physical side. 
Um, and then unfortunately, Mick left. Billy and Branco come in, done well. Try to add a couple of players that didn't suit the system, and the team kind of just folded a wee touch for there. A few injuries ended up we get relegated that year, and then the whole team broke up. Yeah, I think when the team broke up, obviously Johnny went down to Cumnock, didn't he? Um, yeah. Richie Barr went. Richie go to Cumnock as well. Renzi Richie went to Cumnock as well. Farkin yeah. went to Neilston. I went to Kilburnley. Um, Big Gordy went to Neilston. Neilston. Uh, so there was a few about plenty went to Yoker. Um, and then see after that, to be fair, maybe two or three years later, I think most of that boys kind of just apart from Big Johnny who played on a wee bit longer, just kind of chucked it. Quite early, 32, 33, most of the people were when they retired. Yeah, if we'd been so close to winning the league against Talbot that year, I mean, it, it was so close. It was yeah. really, really close. And then just to see the, the way the team just sort of dissipated, it just it seemed as if the, the bubble had burst. It was just, right, that's the journey over. Yeah. But a lot of injuries that season to start with. And then we were kind of chasing our tail. And then they brought in. Uh, a couple of boys, we Frankie Haggerty, who's my mate, who I said he's come in and relegated us. Like love reminding him of that. So he was an absolute baller and came in, and then he realised after six, eight weeks, it's a totally different style of football. But he's used to he's wanting to get the ball off the goalie. We're all six foot two, wanting to clatter into people and then get on the ball and play. So we were really hard to beat for an hour, and then then I came out top in the last half hour. The teams kind of ran out of ideas, and then we let our better players go and play. He's running about going, what am I doing here? So he left and went to Irvine Meadow. Um, and then Billy chucked it and they got Sandy McLean in. They got uh, Gus Goldstar, Danny. And then they kind of made up their mind that they were going to get rid of a few players at the end of the year. So everybody kind of just left there. Clarkie left, Mickey left that season. And then the rest is all left at the end of the year. So Does, uh, does Scott Strang still dine out on... That shootout, you know, the shootout, uh, just for listeners who don't know, he was the goalie. I think, was it one save? And then he also scored himself in the shootout? Scored himself, aye. So, he's, uh, Scott played one season, wasn't it? I think he chucked it. That was it. We got him out of, Mick got him out of retirement because he played with Hearts. Kevin played one season, wasn't it? I think he thought after went through, he was going to go into bigger and better things. Didn't he really materialise? And then, for whatever reason, he just fell away from football. Uh, but he comes down every now and again to games and I still speak to him on Facebook but here's another one it disappeared he'd only make a fantastic goalkeeper but just never worked out for him the next move then was Coburnley you were saying there yeah, also a place close to my heart recently so as I said probably flippantly saying you wanted to play with no assistance so was that the pace catching back up with you? <laughs> <laughs> I probably was to be fair so I left Tommy Bryce worked in the fire services of stores and I used to play the fire brigade team and they wanted me to come down. So I went down and looked at that team and thought they were a different class, that team. The only person I hadn't seen play was Davy Anderson. He's probably the best player I've ever played with. And all kids, you know, absolutely fantastic. And I played in the middle of the park with a boy, Liam McGuinness. So McGinn told me and him were centre mid. And I was like, right, I'll, I'll win all the heaters and tackles and you just go and play. And he's like, we wait to see this boy, Davy Anderson. They come back and I'm like, never mind him. So he's going to get a game. That's what I said to him. So we played a couple of games and Davey was in holiday and he came back, played one game and I went to chapter time's door and says, I'll go and play centre half if you want. So that boy's absolutely unreal. He was all tremendous. And with Jamie Longworth, Chris Erskine, Dave Gray, fantastic young team. Fantastic young team. I'm probably biased. Jammer, as you know, is a, is a, is a, is a good friend of mine's. But I remember later in my junior career, I, I didn't think there was a better striker. No striker in the oh. juniors was better than Jamie Longworth. Aye. 
I don't think that that Coburn team get the recognition they deserved in terms of caps for Scotland or anywhere else, promotion to other teams. Do you know what I mean? I remember doing about 2000 2005-2006 I had a really two good seasons and I'd just get into the squad to do a bit of training for the Scotland team with Jim O'Donnell but never made the final cut and if I look back to then these boys should have been in every week but I think because they were down a division to everybody else but you've got to look at where they went Chris Erskine went to Party Thistle you David Gray went up to Airdrie you had Kenny who'd been about the juniors Jamie Longworth went senior again told David Anderson went to Queen's Park they used to call him Javi that was his nickname that's how good he was. And he'd me and a boy, Anton Smith, just defending at the back and going, right, boys, on you go. Not be a seller. That's generally how this, every Saturday went. We would just win all the headers and tackles and give it to everybody else. It was a, I, found me, I found myself clapping sometimes when we were scoring goals. It was that good to watch. We were standing behind him, high-fiving Anton. So. How was a uh, how was Tommy and Diggers training? I remember I'm sure you said it to me as well, saying that Tuesday night was just an absolute bleaching, oh. absolute, and it was it was dead basic. It was running, it was just hard work out the back. It, there was nothing really. So we done it every Monday night. You get a doing every junior club get a doing. They a 28 minute run, and Davy Anderson and Mark Collins. I don't know if you remember Mark Collins, who used to his dad owned a running club. They two used to finish lap everybody. Being and Tommy be in the back, obviously, because the two older fatter guys just jogging at the back, trying to keep up. And you got a doing on a Monday night, and on a Tuesday you done shooting, possession, and a game every single week for every two years I was there. And all he did was bring in quality after quality of the player. Do you know what I mean? And the team was really, really, really good. We won the West with Coburnley, beat Pollock 5-1. Could have been about 10-1 that day. Fantastic game uh, at Mary Hill. But he just seemed to find a player. Tommy knew a player because Tommy was a player, to be fair. No, nah, he was good. And they've had the backing of the committees. As we know, the committee in there, they'll do anything for you. They'll do anything they yeah. can. They just want to do anything that's that's positive for the team and positive for the town. Yeah, definitely. It's a great club. Great club. Talk about the pride at winning the Scottish Cup in 2001. What about 2007 when, when you had your testimonial game at, at Renfrew against St Mirren? at the old Western Park and I think there was a, a Jay Quigley got on the score sheet that day didn't he I think yes I did I was um, David McKenna who plays with us just now played against me because he was at St Mern Reserves um, for my testimony what I remember was being hungover and I went to I was out the night before with my wee mate Grant and then he went and we got a Big Mac for breakfast about half ten um, and I went on and Scored a corner and then I was going off and I might have got off and come back on to around the pause and I couldn't get back on because I was too hungover. I wanted a beer. <laughs> I felt ter- terrible, honestly. Absolutely terrible. But, so uh, not, not quite as memorable a day then as no, maybe people think. It was a good night, to be fair. So, um, I, see, to be honest, I'm not really into all that centre of attention stuff. See, when people clap you on the park and things are for you, I don't mind making, a, making an arse of myself and again having a laugh and carry on. But see, when it's like serious and People are trying to pay respect because I'm not really big into that. I get kind of strange about stuff like what, that. What, what was the other thing you forgot that day? <sighs> Got me. Maffy. Oh. <laughs> were you asking this? Oh. I for about four years I done every every round through testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> that was payback for all the decisions you never gave me. You know what I mean? Try, try not to look biased, but not giving me decisions made you look opposite. So, you were worse. <laughs> I never referred I never, I Actually, do you know what? I actually was given Renfrew Vela Clyde 
2010, two weeks before the Junior Cup final, and I got an email for the SFA saying that's my appointment. And I'm like, I can't, I can't referee that game. They're like, why not? I was like, well, I'm from the place. I'm related to people in the committee. I'm pals away to school with them all. And they went, I just go and do it. And I was like, no, I'm not I'm not doing it. There is no chance. Uh, in fact, like Don Robertson, the current SPFL referee, we, we end up swapping games and, and he done it. But part of me, I've got to admit, part of me at the back of my mind is like, I might just go and do this. <laughs> but That would have been a disaster. Doesn't matter what you'd have done, you'd have done it wrong. That's, that should have been your opinion. The whole team would have thought you'd done it wrong and you'd done it on purpose, so... Uh, was another choice. was another lot of love for Des uh, for Des Jimmy back in those days when he when he had the referees outfit on. There's uh, never been love. Never never <laughs> been love for Des. That's why he started running to get away from you. So <laughs> he's a referee. Nobody likes a referee. And to be fair, it's probably a a job I wouldn't thank you for. But it's I don't think there's enough protection and I don't think they're supported enough nowadays after watching the, the standard of the guys coming through now. The lack of support for them. And we need them. They're an intro part of the game. If we don't have a referee, the games don't go ahead. So regardless of what you think, you should be speaking to them in a correct manner and in a proper fashion and treating them with respect. But I don't think they're supported enough through at this level. And it's going to get worse unless somebody steps in and does something about it, in my opinion. What what makes you say that, Jimmy? You sound like maybe you've you've seen things and and you've got experience of that. It's a lot of young boys in the referees now. Some of them don't know how to talk to men. Some of them don't know how to act. Uh, Some of them... For me, get swayed by too many people shouting because they're not getting enough guidance, they're not strong enough. Not having linesmen during games means that one young boy could be 18, 19, he's dealing with 26, 27 guys shouting at him plus a crowd and he's got nobody else to fall back on. You know what I mean? And it can be intimidating for some people. Look at the Paul Irvin, uh, was it Paul Irvin Vicks game? There's a big fight started. Yeah. So yeah. that referee just walks off the park because he's there himself. He was a police officer, to be fair, but he's walked off the park when he. If you get linesmen coming over and standing next to him, he might have made a better decision or a better call on, you know what, you're off, you're off, you're off, let's finish the game, rather than two teams getting kicked out without anybody getting blamed for what's actually happened. I wasn't there, I don't know what started it, but two teams getting kicked out, you can't tell me both their behaviour was the same to kick two teams at a competition, I think, in my opinion. I think, um, I think the support and guidance is, is limited at the moment from what they can get. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still COVID restrictions that are there, but for the brief time that we were involved, yeah, I wasn't... I'm not going to slag them. That's not the right thing to do. They, they do need support, but just the level of experience, and I think it's... It, well, it, it's not even a thing, I know, and I'm sure any any sane person can see it. It's recruitment numbers. What yeah. is glamorous? What is glamorous about going there and getting, getting abused for 90 minutes, for the minute you turn up to the minute you leave, not for a, a particularly high recompense as well. So I think there needs to be a lot of education done on it, um, a lot of support, a lot of support. I think, I think personally as well, it's a societal thing because with the introduction of social media and stuff, people just think they've got a voice in the world over stuff, especially when you go to a football ground, paying £6 in doesn't give you a right to abuse anybody in, in any profession whatsoever. And it's got worse over the last 10 years and it used to be back in the day because the referee would get called some names or players would get a bit of abuse but you've now got incidents of fans running on or people throwing bottles and everybody swearing and shouting and balling at people so how are you meant to promote the game through youth and through kids and through setups like that if these people are, are allowed to get away with this £6 
charging somebody in six quid to get in, you kind of just unleashing people. You wouldn't get away with it in the street. No, it's, it's social education. Definitely, I'd agree. Is, is, is the problem also that they're, because referees at the top level are getting younger and there's an element of fast tracking, it means the the guys who would have been, you, I don't know, you, you, they're having to move everybody through the system quicker. So you are getting referees who are almost too young to referee coming through because the ones who should be there have been fast tracked to the next level quicker than they might have been 20 odd years ago. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Wally Collins, the worst referee, and I'll stand by this, I've ever had my whole entire life. I've ever had my whole entire life. Three times I had him. It was horrendous. He was only 16 or 17. And then, what, three years later, four years later, he's officiating out of junior straight away. So he never even got time to get judged in his mistakes at the level he was at, and he was fast-tracked. And I'll you've stand get, by that. You've not got life experience at that point in time, how to deal with, how to deal with other people. So in... in, in Gareth, in your line of work dealing with professional managers and professional players every day, Jimmy's work under high pressure and having to deal with hot point situations and, and, and making instant decisions. Myself as well, working with vulnerable adults and, and young people. You've got to have life experience before you can actually trust yourself to make that judgment. And yeah. that's the that then have the have the have the thought process to think what are the repercussions from this. Uh, and then to come, you and I don't come home from our work and have social media posts calling you this, that, and the next thing for what you've done in your professional life. So yeah. what what then gives them people that right to do it from a 90-minute snapshot on a Saturday where there's 22 highly emotional players in a park, there's sidelines at the side of the park, there's fans. It's a lot of pressure. And I think at a young age, you have not developed your maturity and your social education to, to be confronted with that definitely agree i think there should be some sort of mentoring thing put in place if we can't get the standard of referee all the numbers we need there should be some sort of support mechanism for a referee every saturday so i don't know for example try getting ex-players in that are interested in seeing what referees think and what the thought process is and explain from a player's point of view what would happen and they could go to a game as backup for a referee do you know what i mean so rather than having a supervisor every time you feel under pressure Somebody that a, a, a young referee could bounce ideas off of. What do you think about that? Well, when I played, that's the reason he would have done this, that's the way they've done that. And at least he could then spread out a wee bit of momentum for every referee. Just sending a young boy 18 down to deepest Afghans Ayrshire for a local derby, isn't he going to solve anything? No, I think I the think. difficulty there might be is how many ex-football players would be willing to do it. Correct. That's all. I've always wondered that because you never want to be a referee. But I just that was just off the top of my head. Something. I think I think the only player that I can think of was Jim Lachlan a few years ago. Thought of doing it. Uh, I'm not sure how how far that went on. Uh, Sean Murdoch has done it as well, hasn't he? I think Sean, he's refereeing in the West of Scotland League at the minute. Aye, Sean. Yes, yes. Sean's doing Sean's doing well, but it's it's a it's a difficult ask. Difficult ask I, for players I to come and change. Referee some of your friendlies and stuff, and I keep getting in the way. Everyone, right? Obviously, for positional sense, and then sometimes you want to tackle people. After the stream, you tackling people when they're running down the line. So, nowadays, never been doing a referee try to do it. So, uh, hats off, hats off to anybody that does it. Just um, to finish off the, the playing aspect, I mean, and leading into your coaching, when you were coming towards the end of your playing days, was staying in the game, was coaching something that, that you always kind of fancied doing? Uh, I always thought I would. At some point, I was vocal in the changing room. Um, I always wanted to learn off everybody, and I was always researching stuff. Um, when I got to the end of my playing days, I was only 32, and I'd kind of, I think the game had changed too much for me. 
uh, didn't mean as much to people I was playing with. They would get beat and that wouldn't eat it the way of them until a Monday or a Tuesday. It would be a Saturday, cooping on five o'clock, everybody laughing and singing, let's go, which kind of kind of knew my time was up at that time. So the professionalism that I tried to show, then I started getting a wee bit lazy. My dad actually came and watched me against when I played for Joker. And he said to me, what are you doing? Because this is no use. So either have a long, hard think about what you want to do or just chuck it. And I was like, ah, you're probably right. So I came back to the days of no linesmen and just chasing people about kicking them and nobody's looking and stuff. And I'm like, that's just stupid stuff. I kind of lost the love for it. Clark had asked me numerous occasions because Sam and Martin were co-managers and it just the two of them. If I chucked it, would I come back? Um, so when that avenue opened up, then I thought, aye, I'll just go back to them too. And just um just to finish off, we we we've mentioned it a few times now that that Renfrew moved to New Western Park from the old Western Park in two thousand and fifteen. Obviously a great facility, everything you want up there, you talked about it earlier on, but were you, was there a part of you sad to see the old Western Park left behind? Yes, especially as a player, because it brought everybody down to my level. They only used to the bobbles, and then when they took a bad touch, then I could get on top of them and get the ball off and make it easier. But uh, there was a lot of history in that place. I went down there, said 11 years, I used to go and help my dad paint the railings and stuff and tidy up and cut the grass and stuff. Um, even before I was playing football, I used to hang about in there and drink my carry when I was younger. The younger days as well, uh, play golf in it, so I used to wreck the park when I was. So there's a lot, a lot of history in there. Um, I was sad to see it go, but times had changed and it needed to move on. I think uh, the facility they've got the new is a better environment for the use around through, and I think it's um, good to try and get a community club brought through so that everybody can aspire to go and play there. At some days, the idea is to come down and get them to watch more often rather than going to Parkhead or Ibrooks, which is a no mean feat trying to get kids to do that but you want kids to come down and watch it and think you know what at 17, 18 I could play at that level or young kids to come down and get into football through watching it and think this is a good atmosphere to come down and facilities good and everything is going in the right direction for the club and getting more kids into football because it's getting harder and harder to attract people into football today, in my opinion Yeah I think touch on the, the, the old ground and the memories I mean you and I are old enough or young enough for you want to call it that we used to go down and you you would take the board round at half time with the with the raffle yeah. on it and you would get a pie for it you'd be Franny Bogey being the Franny being Bogle, the yeah. yep so we've been there we've seen it you knew where you stand you knew where your neighbours used to stand watching the game it was brilliant New Western Park was absolutely great and as Jimmy said it was a it was a focal point for the, for the community and so it was only what a two minute walk for the for the town centre so folk could access it. But the new ground had to harm. When you look at, look, think of the old changing rooms, what it was like. It was sparse. It was, it was freezing. Was the the hot water was lucky if it was lucky if it was tepid. Two two showers for everybody. There's a Mick was getting a team talk once and one of the the bit of the roof collapsed and top him, covered them in all sorts of stuff as well. With the mirror fell off the wall during one of the team talks as well. So, <laughs> uh, it was it seen better days to be fair. Do you remember uh, the old managers' room as well? Oh, I was horrendous and all. Try to fit everybody in there. You were warmer outside than you were. So. I know. My dad, my dad actually, he was putting felt on the roof, right? One day, which must have been early 50s, my dad, and he hadn't been home for hours. And I phoned him, could
<laughs> so what are you doing down there? And he's like, fell through the roof. And I'm thinking, 56, what are you doing <laughs> on the roof? But he used to all go down. Everybody used to go in and chip in and try and make a best of a bad situation down there in terms of what on the park and try to put lights up and stuff. But it seemed Do you remember the time... Remember the time the, the tractor gets stuck on the park? I stuck the stuck for ages stuck in that park as well. So games games were cancelled. Cancelled. You, you train the, on you it and then you train up the back of it on the on the ride ash and then train with a couple of portable lights, twenty, thirty yards worth of grass, and you just get run into the ground for an hour and that was you up the road every Monday. So when you got on a Wednesday when you got somewhere better, which I'm gonna say better, i.e. gravel run at Trinity High was better than the grass you were running on. It was like walking on the ass of tough, so you wanted the ball all the time and everybody's like to get touches. But you think back now, if you should, kids nowadays, they'd be like, ah, I'm not going on that with my nice white boots. Do you know what I mean? So, their gloves so, on and hats. And- no, the new part was the new part was a must. And it, see, it, was a long t- it was a long time in coming. I know yourself, Clarky and Martin and the committee and people who had been involved in it, it was... It was a godsend when it came, yeah, and it was like yeah. a, it was like, a, it was like a spaceship landing in town. Just like everybody just came to see it, came to see yeah. what it was with, like. And with the season sharing with Johnston Borough, we were carrying all our cones and our bibs and balls in the cars, and didn't have any players and stuff as well. So to go for getting a new part to get promoted within three years was was a fantastic achievement for Colin and Martin. Definitely was getting out of that division. Hello, my name is Willie Kinnebra, manager of Gap Cairn. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Right, just a quick recap of the clues. I'm looking for the club from SPFL League One all the way down the divisions uh, that after being founded in 1889, they dissolved, then reformed in 1900 after some teenagers cobbled together some cash. They've won the Junior Cup three times, the most recent in 1982. The second largest city in Malawi was named after the town where they play. And, <laughs> and former players include Billy McNeil, Jock Steen and Joe Jordan. So oh. it sounded like Jimmy was quite confident earlier at the start. So we'll come to you first, Des. Right, so as I said, I'm not a geography teacher, so I've got no chance with the, with the Malawi. But only two 1982 Cup final springs to mind and Billy McNeil. They're the two that spring to mind. So have you, have you got a club? I've got a club, I Go for it. Quigs, it's not a seven iron, so you're fine. Um, Blantyre Vicks. Blantyre Vicks. Is that what you are, Jimmy? Blantyre Vicks, I Blantyre Vicks, or I was going to say Bayliston. Why? Because uh, my I, I, dad played for Bayliston in the cup final against Bowness and I think they won it the year after he left. Was uh, that, was was, Gil- clue. was Gilkey's dad was Gilkey's dad not involved Gilkey's in an eighty two Bellaston as well, I and who I am pretty that was that was my two guesses. Blanter Vicks because of the obvious connection with Celtic players and stuff. That's what I was thinking with the Celtic connection. Bellaston was uh, I'm sure they won the cup as well. Yeah after my dad left. Well Des Roach's winning run continues. It was Blantyre Vicks. No, uh, Des, so Des Roach's winning run as he's left the podcast three times to charge his iPad, look at his other phone and his works phone, and you're going to give that a winning run. Is that how this works? Is it? On on that, Jimmy, yeah. But I mean, the, the rest of his performance has been a bit questionable. It's a bit like your it's a bit like your junior cup final. You know, you won it. 
you won it, yeah. but I mean, some people might say he was defending all the way. Did you, do you know why uh, why the second largest city in Malawi? I can't let this one pass without explaining cool. it. The second yeah. largest city in Malawi was named after Blantyre because Blantyre was the birthplace of David Livingston, Livingston, the 19th century explorer and missionary. And because of his work, Malawi named their second largest city after Blantyre. You lost Quig as soon as you said 1962, <laughs> missionary and a doctor. <laughs> Not having that. That's probably the news. Year user, the age used to look. Listen, it's it's, it's no it's no age over beauty here. What you forty you forty three? Forty three. Hardest paper in the Renfrew. Coming for the guy that nips off the podcast to go for a wee sunbed every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if only people could see how red your face is just do with the I'm hat. I'm sweating. Heaven, so. I've got three lights on in here. <laughs> Aye, so you have. Probably sitting staring at yourself in the mirror as well, knowing you. <laughs> I told you, listen, known him a long time. <laughs> Jimmy, thanks for thanks for coming on the show tonight. Uh Hope the rest of the season goes well for you. Good to see things uh, are turning there since you've taken over. So we hope hope you keep that going. And uh, you know, appreciate you coming on and uh, looking back over your career as well. No bother, mate. Thanks for having me. Craig, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming no on, mate. No bother, Dex. Good to see you again, mate. Aye, listen, we'll be down soon. We'll, we'll take in a game. Aye, definitely. We've got a big beer. All right. Aye, definitely. Thanks Cheers, Dez, as well. Thanks, Cheers, Des, as well for uh, thanks for sitting in for for Paul this week, Des. No problem. Thanks again to our sponsors as well, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer or video editor or a solution for your website. And don't forget, you can get in touch with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to or if you'd like your audio featured on the show. Our email address is divisions at gmail.com. That's divisions at gmail.com or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.